Our Heavenly Father, in your precious word, the psalmist prays, Set a guard over my mouth, Lord, keep watch over the door of my lips. And so please, Lord, we ask that you would do just that as I speak now, and for all of us, as we learn from Proverbs, teach us to be wise with our words. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, during the week, uh, one of the regular appointments for one of our children at the moment is to uh, visit a speech therapist. My wife kindly takes our two boys uh, on a Friday afternoon because our eldest, Archie, who's five years old, is having some troubles with his tongue, getting his tongue in the right place, in his mouth, saying the right words and sounds. And uh, Archie is doing an excellent job practicing each night and for these weekly appointments, although I think it can occasionally be frustrating for him uh, when the therapist asks him to practice saying a word again and his little two-year-old brother, off in the corner, playing with his toy cars, manages to repeat the same word Archie's supposed to say, just perfectly from the sidelines without any effort whatsoever. Well, there's a younger brother for you. I have to say, though, I I think there's probably more than likely some family genes at play for Archie, because I do remember myself uh, being five or six years old, needing speech therapy. I had a terrible time with my tongue, trying to get around the TH sound. There was a lot of freeze out there, one, two, three, and a few other corrections, too. Well, this morning, as we come to the book of Proverbs, we're continuing to look through some of the topics and the themes in the second half of the book, in chapters 10 to 31. And in particular, we're looking to be trained in the book of Proverbs in how to use our tongues correctly, in the words we say, in the words we don't say, in how we speak, and it matters to all of us. Proverbs teaches us that our words can be the difference between getting life right and getting life wrong in God's world. And so our big question this morning is, how can we be wise with our words? If you're writing notes, there's three points. Point number one, know that words are powerful. Point number two, learn to use wise words. And point number three, be changed by God's word. Uh, It might be helpful to have an outline. Please feel free to hop up and grab one from the back if you didn't get one on your way in. Uh, Printed on the back of your outline, you'll see there's lots of proverbs which have been printed out to help you follow along. And it might just save you from flipping all over the place as we go on a topic that's fairly major in the book of Proverbs. Well, how can we be wise with our words? Let's start firstly with point number one. Know that words are powerful. In Proverbs 18, verse 21, we're given a key insight into this whole topic. Here it is. The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Our words are powerful. Sometimes easy to forget that, that the tongue has the power to bring life. I had someone uh, call me just a few weeks ago from this very congregation and they left me a voicemail which I can say without exaggeration, it ranks among one of the most encouraging calls I've ever received. And it was completely out of the blue, it had no other purpose except to express and convey a point of specific thanks and appreciation for one particular area of ministry. 
but I can tell you just the content and the tone of that person's voicemail were so life-giving for me in that moment. It, it was as if they simply called to say, I am behind you all the way in what you're doing, so keep on going with it. And that's just one personal example where the tongue can have the power of life in it. And you may be able to think of your own example, where someone has strengthened you through encouraging words. Well, how is this even possible? That our tongues can have the power of life in them. I hope you've picked up by now a central theme in the book of Proverbs has been that the beginning of wisdom itself is the knowledge of God. It's the fear of the Lord. And do you remember what all of that's about? Josh has been repeating it each week for us. The fear of the Lord, do you remember it? It's about remembering in everything who my God is. And even more specifically for our topic today, we need to remember, don't we, that all of us are living in God's world and we speak because God speaks. So let me just take a moment to unpack that by saying, the Bible is quite clear in its teaching that the world isn't eternal, but that God is eternal. And as I said before, the God of the Bible is a speaking God. In the Christian account from eternity past, God has related within Himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God, three persons. There has never been a time where God has been lacking relationally or in His communication. And by the way, that is a distinguishing difference between Islam and Judaism and other different views of God. When the Christian Bible says God is love, He didn't need creation to begin loving someone or something. No, God wasn't lonely before the creation of the world. He was always in relationship within the Godhead. You see, your doctrine of God matters for everything. The Islamic faith will always fundamentally lean towards power and submission over relationship because it's logical to its view of Allah. As one God but with no relational dynamic within inherit himself. Whereas a Christian faith teaches an I, you, relationship within God's being which has eternally existed. God is one, yes, 100%. But He also, as you read through the account of the Bible, progressively reveals Himself with a plurality of personhood within His own being as Father, Son and Spirit, which, by the way, far more powerfully explains why love and relationship and, yes, for today, communication and words are so primary to our experience of what it is to be human. Or put differently, it's a far more compelling basis for anthropology, for understanding our humanity, than what atheism or other religions offer us. In the Christian doctrine of God, there is a theological basis for why humans are wired for relationship. The Christian worldview offers us a compelling explanation for why we all long to be known and known. 
to be loved and loved, to speak and to be spoken to. Words come to us so naturally, not on the basis of randomness, not on the basis of natural selection or chaos theory, but rather on the basis of God's own communicative nature. In fact, in the Bible's account of creation, Genesis 1.27 tells us that God made us humans uniquely as His image bearers in His world. And at least one aspect of what that means is that like God, we speak to one another with words. And to bring all of that back to our topic today, Proverbs is saying here that there is a way in which our words are powerful too. Not exactly the same as God's words, but they still have a power to bring life in them. Let me give you some examples of that. It is like a friend who messages just to let you know they were thinking of you. Like a neighbour who drops by for a conversation just because they notice that you've been away. Like a parent who praises a child, commending them for right behaviour like a spouse who leaves a note behind with kind words to help you start your day, like a teacher who takes the time to give careful feedback to build up a student who is struggling. The start of Proverbs 15 verse 4 puts it this way, the soothing tongue is a tree of life. Our words can be life-giving. But on the other hand, too, the Bible is also clear in its account of the fall in Genesis 3 that we all, all of us, live outside of the garden now. We all reject God's rule over our lives and instead we live under a word of judgment, of curse, of death. And in view of that, Proverbs 18.21 is realistic when it says the tongue also has the power not only of life but of death. In fact, the rest of Proverbs 15.4 also says, but a perverse tongue crushes the spirit. Some years ago, one of my siblings went through a very dark season of quite severe mental health struggles during her senior years of high school, and I'm sharing this with her permission. And I remember it was a very hard season of family life for all of us because she became so withdrawn And she would wear a hoodie all around the house all the time and she wouldn't speak to anyone. And she was so sad and she was so drained. It was like all of her life energy had been completely sapped out of her. And there was a short time there where we just didn't know if she would finish school. It was that bad. My mom and dad were so worried for her and thankfully she is very well today But she needed a lot of help back then. And some of you will know what that is like to support someone who is struggling with their mental health. But it is only years later, it was only years later that she shared with us, after a lot of help, that a specific reason for why she went through that depressive episode for that season, a major part of it stemmed back to a whole series of words that she had read, that she had taken to heart, that were directed toward her online, that were cruel, that were deathly words. The tongue has the power to bring life and death. And we need to know that. 
Proverbs 12, verse 18 says, The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. That proverb is saying that words can be so very sharp. If you want to remember this, take the last letter in words, S, take it to the front, and you get sword, which is just a little memory trick by way of reminder for us that some words make us bleed. They pierce like swords. And don't we know it? I remember there was a time uh, some years ago, uh, my wife Jess and I were living nearby a Christian couple uh, during our years at Bible college. And I accidentally overheard a daytime argument between a wife and her husband nearby. Uh, It was impossible not to hear it. Uh, She was yelling so loudly at him. And what she was yelling was so awful that at the time it just left me completely shaken. I remember being so unsettled by some of her words, they weren't even directed at me. Her husband was pierced over and over by her rage. And some of those words turned out to be so serious, they needed to be reported on professionally. We weren't expecting it, not them, not there. And yet I'm sharing it with you because I take it, I take it all of us know that it is never okay to physically bruise someone. But it is also never okay to emotionally bruise someone either. And I just want to say in a uh, people group size of this size, if that is your normal experience in any way, can I just encourage you to share that with someone else you trust? Because verbal abuse is never okay in any relationship. And look, that is a fairly confronting example, but even when the situation is not so extreme, reckless words are always dangerous. They hurt us, don't they? It could just be a name that puts you down, that you were labelled with, which perhaps still makes you bleed emotionally to this day. Sometimes a reckless word is something your father or mother said to you a long time ago, which was like a dagger that you have never quite forgotten. Sometimes a reckless word comes from a friend, from a boss, from a loved one, or just someone we didn't expect, and they have left us with unseen scars. Well, Proverbs would have us remember that our words are powerful. Our words used wrongly can harm. But the second half of Proverbs 12, 18 gives another contrast too. The tongue of the wise brings healing. How powerful it is when someone comes to you and simply says, I am sorry. How healing it could be when someone has wronged you and they have the humility to come and say, will you forgive me? How mending are the words, I still love you. Proverbs 16 verse 24 puts it this way, Gracious words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. Words do matter. And yet, that very idea, words do matter, cuts across some of our own culture's tendency to assume the very opposite that words aren't very important at all. 
that this is just my truth. Or, I will say whatever I like, thank you. Or, they're just words. They don't mean anything. And Proverbs teaches us otherwise. Words are powerful. And because of this, there is a great need for all of us to have control over our words. That's a big part of the message in our second reading earlier, James chapter 3, that we need to tame our tongues, which seems so very small and yet like a small spark on a heatwave weekend, the tongue can set an entire forest alight. And so coming back to our big question this morning, how can we, you and I, be wise with our words? Proverbs is firstly teaching us to know that our words are powerful. Which brings us secondly, though, to point number two, learn to use wise words. One of the commentators I have found very uh, insightful on the book of Proverbs, this term, is Derek Kidner. And he has a very short commentary, and in it he describes four of the marks of words. At their best, words, according to Proverbs, he writes, have four marks. Let me share them with you. Words at their best will be honest, few, calm, and apt. Let's have a look at one uh, at those one at a time, starting with words at their best will be honest. Proverbs 16, verse 13, kings take pleasure in honest lips. They value the one who speaks what is right. At the men's night last week, and I know I'm disclosing some secrets here, uh, but let me do that anyway. Our speaker, Al Stewart, made mention of Jordan Peterson. And if you haven't heard of him, uh, he's a very popular philosopher, a Canadian speaker who's written a best-selling book in recent years called The Twelve Rules for Life. And Al was just marvelling at the fact that when Peterson came out to Australia a year or two ago and spoke at the Opera House, he has such a massive global following at the moment that when Al went to book a ticket to hear him speak on one of the uh, nights that he was speaking, within a day or two all of the tickets were sold out. Multiple nights. Why? Because thousands upon thousands of young men today are desperate for guidance, desperate for guidance from anyone. From someone, anyone, about how to get their lives right. And I haven't read uh, this book myself, but, and it could be great, I don't know. But I've looked up what these 12 rules are, and do you know what his rule number eight for life is? It's this. Tell the truth, or at least don't lie. Now, I don't know about you, but as helpful as that rule is, I didn't actually need Jordan Peterson to tell me that. Proverbs has been saying that all along. And yet, for a whole new generation of men, this is groundbreaking. Tell the truth. Wow! Peterson's made a fortune just by confirming what Proverbs has been saying, that if you want to get life right, be honest with your words. And yet, it's not always easy, though, is it? And it won't always be comfortable. I mentioned earlier that unsettling story about a domestic argument, uh, which I reported on through appropriate channels, but it was made even more uncomfortable by the fact at the time that we knew this couple. They weren't uh, the closest of close friends, but they weren't strangers to us. And so it wasn't just something we could move on from. No, I remember Jess and I both reached out to each partner 
and then both met up with each partner to have what was an incredibly awkward conversation about what had happened and to express our, our deep concern for them. But you know what? A few years later, that couple is still together and the girl reached out to us and she said to us simply in a message, thank you. I was not in a good place. We were not in a good place and we needed someone to tell us that because we really needed help. And they're both doing so much better now. But the point I'm trying to illustrate is you don't need a list of rules for life from a modern bestseller to live by. You need God's word ruling your life because the wisdom is right here in Proverbs. Proverbs 27 verse 6 says, Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Telling the truth won't always be comfortable. And I do not always get this right either. Just this past week, I needed to send an apology uh, for not following through on something that I said that I would do. I'm not proud about that. Why? Because our words relate to our character. And so if you want to be wise in your words, then be completely committed to honesty. And when you get it wrong, and we all get it wrong, confess it to God. Apologize and own it. Why? Because in the end, you'll be pleasing the one audience who matters most, God. Proverbs 12 verse 22 says, The Lord detests lying lips, but He delights in people who are trustworthy. So there's mark number one. Be honest with our words. Well, secondly, words at their best will be few. Proverbs 10 verse 19 says, Sin is not ended by multiplying words, but the prudent hold their tongues. Don't you just love uh, how many of our digital media platforms today have caught on to this exact wisdom by building in some kind of safety net for us with our day-to-day -day communication. It's as if they know. I updated my laptop earlier this year, and one of the big noteworthy advancements for my email account from this uh, upgrade was now a delay feature, undo send, which works like so. I write an email, I click send, and instead of whoosh, my computer now says to me, it's like it says, are you sure? One, two, three, undo, undo, undo. I don't want to send that anymore. We can now undo our texts and Facebook messages as well. For some of you, this is news. You need to upgrade. We can edit our messages, whatever you use, WhatsApp, uh, Viber, uh, and you just sort of hope that whoever's reading it won't click into it and see the version history. Why do we need this? Because so often we would have been wiser not to send that message in the first place. We needed a pause button. We needed to sit on it for the night. We needed to come back to it with a fresh perspective. Words at their best will be few. Likewise, there's a whole string of Proverbs related to gossip. Two examples, Proverbs 18 verse 8 says, The words of a gossip are like choice morsels. They go down to the inmost parts. It's like being at a wedding reception. I was at one uh, not so long ago for my sister-in-law where the entrees are floating around with various waiters. And uh, if you're like me at all, and you may not be, but it is very hard, I find, to pay attention to aunt or uncle, whoever, uh, at that moment, because I'm worried about the sushi that's over there being eaten, all the good ones. 
and they all look so delicious. Uh, I shared that example with my wife and, and said, what do you think of this proverb? And she said, well, it reminds me of a dog. It's going around the table and it's like anything will do. Any little scrap, it's, it's just sniffing. Gossip is a bit like that. It, it doesn't, it's not substantial enough to fill us up, but we're never full. We, we like the taste of it. Tell me more. Our ears prick up when we hear news about someone else at church. We want to hear more about the ministry team. But listen to the warning in Proverbs 16, verse 28. A perverse person stirs up conflict and a gossip separates close friends. No, friends, don't be a gossip. And when someone comes to you and you just get the impression that actually what they're saying, they probably wouldn't say if that person was here right now. Speak up against it. Stop it. Don't listen. Don't engage. Don't encourage a gossip. Because if you are loose with your lips, you will be a loose cannon relationally. You will divide people. You will not be trusted with secrets. No, there is a great wisdom in taking care with our words, in showing restraint over what we say, in holding someone else's confidence. Wise words are honest, few, and thirdly, words at their best will be calm. Now, our first Bible reading earlier, Proverbs 15, verse 1, began with, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. As a famous marriage researcher, John Gottman, I think I've mentioned him before, who's done a whole lot of uh, research into couples and some of the dysfunctions that go on uh, within relationships. And one of his key predictors for whether a relationship is in trouble is simply to watch a couple interact for a few minutes together. And it doesn't take long because so often it's the case that the way a conversation starts is an indication of how it will end. And part of his counselling is simply to avoid harsh start-ups. Well, Got Gottman is just, again, tapping into the wisdom found in Proverbs, isn't he? Or consider chapter 25, verse 15, Through patience a ruler can be persuaded, and a gentle tongue can break a bone. I find this with my children all the time. Uh, even when my toddlers have no idea what I just said, they can hear the emotion in my voice. And it may just be my two boys, but the equation that I've learned is dad's angry voice equals stubborn defiance. Dad's calm voice equals able to be persuaded. Well, lastly, words at their best will be honest, few, calm, and finally, apt. Proverbs 15:23. a person finds joy in giving an apt reply and how good is a timely word it's not just what we say it's not just the content it's not just how we say it but it's also knowing when to say it as well and I had a joke here and it got cut and uh, and instead I've chosen for the most apt thing to say at this point in my sermon is to move on to our last point so if you want to hear the joke you can ask me later how can we be wise with our words? Know that words are powerful. Secondly, learn to use wise words that are honest, few, calm and apt. And finally, point number three, be changed by God's word. Because you see, there is a danger in a sermon like this one that you would leave with a mistaken impression that being wise with our words is 
really just all about learning the right techniques, the skills. But actually, the big problem with that view is that our words are connected with who we really are. You can know all the skills in the world in communication, but sooner or later what comes out of your mouth will be a window for others about what is really going on in your heart. And we know that, don't we? Jesus told us that, didn't he? At the end of Matthew 12, verse 34, he said, For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Well, the reason you and I have a word problem is because you and I have a heart problem. And in a few weeks' time, it'll be Christmas. And just to give you a preview for those services, our teaching in our Christmas series is all going to be based around John chapter 1, the beginning of it. Why? Because in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God, John 1.14. And the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. How can we be wise with our words? By first being changed by God's Word. John 3.16 famously says, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. And in that same chapter, just a little earlier, Jesus gets asked uh, by a religious man of, of all people, how do I get into the kingdom of God? And Jesus basically says, you can't. You need to be born again. And it is the same with our words. At the end of the matter, if you want to know, how do I be wise with my words? You can't. Because you first need to get a new heart. We need a word from God. And the great news of the gospel in the sending of Jesus is that we have one in Him who never once stumbled in what He said. Even those who opposed Him were blown away at how He spoke. And finally, He went silently like a lamb led to the slaughter. Why? So that we could be changed by God's word and have new life through His Spirit living in us. And if you don't think you've been born again, well, there's no time like today. But if you're here already and you are following Jesus, can I remind you, as we head into what's sometimes described as the silly season for all its busyness, keep listening to what God says in His Word and let His Word change you. Let His Word fill your heart. Let God's Word change you day by day. Let me close with these words from 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts too. Give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. And verse 16. Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Let me pray for us. Our Father, we thank you that you are a speaking God. That you are Father, Son and Holy Spirit. We thank you for the book of Proverbs. And if we're here and we've not been born again, I pray, Lord, that you would help any such person who wants a new heart to turn to you and to ask for one to believe on Christ and be forgiven and receive new life in Him.
And we pray for all of us. Help us to know how powerful our words are. And may we bring life in our speech. Forgive us for when we've been reckless in our words. Help us instead to be wise in our use of them. To be honest, to be few, to be calm, to be apt in what we say. And may your spirit help us in this. To be more like you in every way. In Jesus' name, amen.